Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Blethered. Uh, if you listened to the first episode, you know I had a wee bit of a technical glitch with getting the music started, but I think I've cracked it, so let's get started. Oh, for f- Welcome to episode 3 of the Blethered Podcast. If you've made it this far, if you've kind of stuck stuck with it then so far, then first of all, thanks for, for downloading. And second of all, I'm genuinely questioning your entertainment choices. But, suits so me. Tonight I recorded with Darren Connell. Darren is a stand-up comedian, actor who's featured in Scott Squad uh, and Pantomime. Uh, and he's he's done a lot of you know successful solo shows at the Edinburgh Fringe and the Glasgow Comedy Festival. We talked about a load of things. Um, Darren's starting comedy, how he went from working as a trolley boy at ASDA um, to giving it up to go full time after being urged by uh, fellow comedian Kevin Bridges to really take it seriously. We kind of talk about a load of things. How Darren gave up booze, he's been three years sober, and what that did for him in his career and his mindset. We spoke about the time he went on holiday to the Amazon rainforest in Peru for two weeks to take ayahuasca. Um, he'll explain what ayahuasca is if you don't know. Um, and we spoke about various other things. Um, I'm not going to talk too much because I kind of hesitate and stutter here. So I'll just let you listen. Um, I hope you enjoy. Cheers. Darren, welcome. Happening, mate. <laughs> I've kind of, we'll get, kind of get straight to introductions, so in my cool, slick intro, I've explained who you are, kind of how we know each other, but in your own words, describe yourself, please, for, for the end that doesn't know you. Awesome, no bother. Well, thanks for asking me on, mate. Thanks for coming. I enjoyed Chris McQueer last week, that was good. Well, I'm a stand-up comedian, I'm based in Glasgow, and through that... I do some acting as well. I run my own podcast and I've started doing panting. So I think I'm a bit of everything. But first and foremost, I'm a stand-up comedian. Excellent. There's a, kind of, a lot of things I, I want to kind of discuss, go into, to kind of ask you about, get you to explain. But first of all then, how, how did you get into comedy? Right, OK, so... Uh, I don't know, man, it's such a weird... I think I had a strange way into it. Like, I studied TV production and sound recording because I was too nervous to get into drama. Mm. I was too shy. Just for a family that were, like, get a trade and stuff. Become a plumber. Aye. On top of me being very nervous and shy anyway. So I thought, if I go and do TV production and sound recording, that'll get me into the acting world. And it couldn't be far from the truth. It's so rang. Did you complete the course or did you chuck it? Or? I did a year, I'd done my NQ and then I, I'd done halfway through HNC and it made me depressed. I, right. I just regretted no doing drama and I was just like, I'm out and chucked it. But w- when I was in the college course, a boy, I just gave up and lost interest so I just started 
you know, part of TV production is, is you have to actually film stuff. So mm-hmm. they used to do like fake news, all that kind of stuff, and they needed like you know actors in front of the camera. So I just always volunteered because. I wasn't interested in the, the camera stuff mm-hmm. and one of the boys was like you know you're actually really funny you should st- start doing stand up comedy and honestly I was just in a wee bubble in my life that I never even really knew what stand up was I've heard of Billy Conley when I was younger I watched Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. Raw but I never heard of comedy clubs or any of that kind of stuff and he told us about the stand comedy club and uh I went to the stand and found out about their open mic night and all that and inquired about that. So, f- from the point of inquiring, did you basically just go in and say, can I come on and perform and they let you or did you have to go away and you know, practice a bit of your craft or a bit of material? No, I, w- I went online. I mean, I can't really, really remember. It was so long ago. It was. I went online and I think... Uh, I mean, there's thousands of people trying to date now, so it's mm-hmm. a six-month waiting list, but right. I think it was only three months when I inquired. You go online, they give you an email, they say if you want to do a spot, email this person, and they'll give you a spot. Will they, will they just give anybody a spot, or do you have to kind of prove your worth in some No, way? mate, you can, anybody can go. Right. Anybody, the Red Raw night and a Tuesday night, they date in Edinburgh on a Monday, uh-huh. Newcastle on a Wednesday now. And if anybody can go on day five minutes, and it's beautiful because you can go and see Frankie Boyle, someday like Frankie Boyle or the next Kevin Bridges, Aye. or you're seeing somebody who is unstable. Because <laughs> <laughs> like there'll be times when you'll go and they're and like unannounced, Kevin Bridges or Frankie Boyle come on and practice like their material. Aye. Aye or Greg be... Greg McHugh, you know. Greg McHugh is that the guy does um, don't tell me. Is it Gary Tankerman? Yes, Funny. Aye. So, they all started feeding that. So, let's go back then. At what year was your first open spot? My and first gig? Mm-hmm. Do you know, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember Celtic were playing somebody in Europe that night. If you tell me who it was, I'll tell you the year. Kenny Muller scored two goals for Celtic, mate. Was That's it against Benfica at home, 3-0? Mate, that was it. So that would have been... I believe uh, 2006 was it so I was I 18 so. maybe 07 I'm trying to think because <laughs> that would have been I think group stages 2006 when we played sorry if you're not if you're a Rangers fan but we played Benfica Man U and I think Copenhagen and I'm sure we beat Benfica 3-0 so 2006 anyway would have been like Octoberish. Rain Man I know, I know, I know. It's like that's Celtics fixtures and, and still game. Like that's when I become like Rain Man. So how did it go? Your first set? Oh, it was awful. It was terrible, mate. It was one of the worst gigs I've ever done in my life. I made every mistake that a person who wants to do comedy makes. Aye. Like you're not supposed to get steaming. You're not supposed to take all your mates. You're not supposed Aye. to go up and just wing it. Aye. And I went up absolutely paralytic, steaming drunk, with about 40 of my mates there. Oh, no. And I never had any material prepared. So she just went up and tried to chat? and. Aye, I just I don't even know what I was thinking. I think I was just totally bewildered by, by the whole experience. I don't think people... Because, you know, you always hear people say... Oh, I could do that. I'm quite funny. Aye. I don't think people realise how tough and how stressful it must be. Because a good example is, 
I came to see you in the stand in like May Bank Holiday Weekend 2012. Aye. And uh, they did like a, you had to write your name in a bit of paper, mm-hmm. and they did a prize draw, and whoever won the prize draw got free tickets for another show. Aye. And I won it, and it was who's the guy? Michael Redmond. Michael Redmond. Yeah, I remember that. You were wearing glasses. No, wasn't it? I'm sure I remember you wearing glasses and you put your arms out on the stage. I did that, aye, because basically, so to set the scene, I was called up to the stage and it's a jam-packed bank holiday Sunday night. And he brought me up and then he said, tell us a joke. (laughs) And, like... I felt as if I was, like my feet were nailed to the floor <laughs> and you can't see anything because the light is shining right in your face and it's roasting and honestly I was like paralysed with Aye. kind of fear and I just could I didn't know what to say and for some reason I stuck my arms out and they kind of uh, oh, I'm actually my hands my palms are sweating thinking about it because it was embarrassing <laughs> because then he's like alright that's fucking weird but okay bye Aye. and then just pushed told me to go off the stage and it was I'm sure people must have been saying like why is that guy just not speaking? <laughs> it's as if I was like a deaf mute. Ah, you just put your arms out. Like Honestly, you, I, I, like I you were froze. everybody a swear I, I, have no, <laughs> I have no idea. And I'm sure he said, do you want to say something? Or what's your name? And I could barely even get the words out. So I had major, major stage fright. So that then makes me wonder, what what pushed you on to to persevere with it? And how did you overcome that? Because that must be severely debilitating. Like if you have that experience as your initial experience. Well... I mean, I think it was so shocking to me that it just, I can't even explain it. I think it maybe gave you a jolt and you thought, right, actually I've overcome that so I could pretty much do anything. It was a mixture of that, but it was so much shame attached to it as well, like, because I obviously love comedy, right? Right. I've loved comedy my whole life and that's been my life for childhood. Mm -hmm. And to walk into an environment, fair enough, I never really knew anything about it, but to walk into something that I love and show it so much disrespect Aye. it just haunted me and then see all my pals like it doesn't matter what after what you say after that they're like Aye. he's shite Aye. it doesn't matter so that was I, I done that when I was 18 and honestly mate it haunted me for so long I never done it again until I was maybe 22 or 23 mm. years but I always had it in the back of my head I was like I cannot let that be my first and last time doing it I mean my fucking trousers fell down and all that mate I was, <laughs> no, no mate, I was out my nut I was absolutely members no Summerfield what is it quick save the one at um Next to Springburn McDonald's. Aye, but aye. before that, was it quick save? Aye, it was quick save, aye. <laughs> right, so <laughs> I remember I went into quick save on the day of the gig and I got a bottle of rosy wine oh, and no. I canned about nine Budweiser's and then I got into the stand and I had about six pints, mate. So, see, by the time I was on the stage, <laughs> I was out my fucking nut and I was wearing a stupid old suit that I bought for a charity shop, man. It was fucking. People were kind of laughing like I was a Santa character act, and then two minutes in, they're like, nah, he's just, he's not. Amazing. I'd like to go and see, quite an interest to see some of these, even just to, in the perverse way, I've seen somebody kind of humiliate themselves. Ah, like yes. you sound like you've done. But like I tell you what, man, it's I, I needed that. I think I needed that, and I'm glad that it happened earlier on mm-hmm. because I think I'm grounded as a person anyway, but that certainly showed me that you need to show this industry respect right. if you want to do stand up you can't just say uh, I want to be a stand you know what I want to be in fucking Oasis then do you know what I mean Aye. if that's the case Aye. it's not that easy so in terms of what not to do if there's any and I'm, I very well could be any aspiring comedians 
that are listening, other than showing respect for the industry and the craft, what would be your advice to them? Well, see, see if somebody approaches me, which happens a lot, and they say, I want to be a stand-up comedian, and then I'll say, have you ever been to the Stand Comedy Club? Mm. Have you ever been to Yes Bar? Have you ever been to the State Bar? And see if they say no, I'd be like, fuck off. Like, see if you want to be a stand-up comedian and you've never been to a live comedy night in your life just because you've watched a Frankie Boyle DVD or a Kevin Bridges DVD you've probably not even went to see them live you can honestly just fuck off because it's so disrespectful to the industry get out and watch live comedy and after a couple of months I mean, when you get your first gig, you'll be given five minutes. Mm-hmm. So just write five minutes of material, watch as much stand-up as you can, and just consume the the industry and take it just for what it is. immerse yourself in it. I suppose it's the same way anything. Immerse yourself and you'll... Aye. See, if you'll you really wanted to do something, if you really, really wanted to do something, you would do it. Aye, that's true, isn't it? Aye. Very true. So, that was your kind of early entrance into comedy... Were you working alongside that when you kind of first started picking up gigs? Like, what were you up to back then? Because now you're a full-time comedian, which we'll go into, but I'd like to get a glimpse of what life was like before you kind of got to where you are now. Oh, mate, my life was carnage before I started doing it. I remember I bullshitted myself into a, an a open edition of the <laughs> comedy unit. <laughs> The comedy unit is a place where still game get made. Gary Tank Commander, the Lemmy Show, they've started making Scott Squad. People you now work with, I was going to say, we'll touch on that. So what was the audition then? So I was reading the Evening Times one day and I seen, there was a two-page pullet on Karen Dunbar, because she was in the Karen Dunbar show at the time. Mm -hmm. And she said in the story, uh, (laughs) I got a chance because the comedy unit gave me an open edition. And in my head, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to phone the comedy unit. Phoned the comedy unit, told them that I was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> did, they, did they know this, that you bullshitted them? Aye, aye. Right, okay. Not at the time, they didn't aye, aye. And I think it was just a young runner on the phone that was just like, all right, no worries, come in. Had an audition. You could never do that these days. Mm-hmm. It would never happen. Had an audition, turned up at the comedy unit, same again, man, with no material prepared. <laughs> <laughs> with a suit on, a stupid fucking suit. You still have the suit? Aye. No, no, I chucked it out recently. Do you have any photographs of you in the suit? I'll need to try and find something, man. This isn't for like, my own personal private Aye. time, private use, so I'm going to share this with anybody that wants it. I'll need to try and find it. Sorry, so you turned up in the suit? Turned up in the suit, had about six cans of Red Bull, started getting chest pains, <laughs> uh, was sick in the toilet, nearly shat my pants. <laughs> went into the room and there was three major kind of like a producer a director that we've all worked people like Rab Christie aye no no Rab Christie but uh, he's one of the main men at the comedy isn't he he seems to be names that everyone who he is and it was same again it was just like big massive camera in my face a tripod and it was just like on you go you've got ten minutes and same again I made an absolute arse of myself (laughs) but the guy uh, behind the desk was like, ah, you should try stand up, and then I never told him about my first gig, but mm-hmm. I was like, aye, no worries, and that kind of made me aye. think, you know what, I need to pull the finger out here. There's a there's a kind of concept or like a theory that's put across which says, put across, or which exists, 
which I kind of believe in, which is if your gut's kind of telling you to do something, aye, follow it and go with it. So let's say first you went and did the uh, the stand up open spot, made an arse of it. Yes. But you sound as if you've learned a lot from it. Now, not everything that you learn from is going to be pleasurable or enjoyable, but mm. it sounds like you had a, a harsh lesson. Then obviously you've seen that in the, the paper, the Karen Dunbar thing, and you've thought, right, there's something in you that's saying, I can go for that. Aye. Like almost like this stoic belief of, I can do that. Aye. Um, obviously you've gone there, and that has kind of signposted you back towards comedy. Do you yeah. think... Do you think that guy saying that to you did have a major part in you then pursuing that again? Uh, definitely, because I, f- I feel like uh, as soon as I had a taste of it or tried it, it, it was always... It's so weird because, like, my first gig was awful and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm never doing that again. And then a couple of years later, I was like, I can't have that as my first and last time. But then I was just walking about and I was seeing comedy posters, stand-up nights advertised. Mm-hmm. I went to... Co- you were saying, was I working? I was in Asda, I worked in Asda for about 10 years. I was a barber. I was a labourer for a tiler, mm-hmm. a labourer for a joiner. Uh, done anything, really. But when I was walking about the barber college, I seen a, a poster and it was a stand-up comedy course. And it was just learn... Same again, man. I was in this barber course thinking, what the fuck do I want to be a barber for? <laughs> just, I, no, in fact, I think I was about 24 and I'd done that right. I think I started listening to everybody about a trade. And I was like, right, it's time to get a trade. But what's the shortest trade? Because <laughs> I can't be asked. I can't be asked in a four-year trade for, right. a, for a joiner. So I looked at the college, you know, leaflet, and it was like nine-month barber course. And in my head I was like, oh aye, that's a trade and I could go to Australia and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And three months in the course I was just like, I'm pure shite at being a barber. Right. And Not I, a passion. I seen the, the poster and it was just like learn about the industry. And I joined, I'd done it, it was a ten week course and I need to tell people I know, they, they, courses don't teach you how to be funny, but it taught me about things like mm-hmm. what's an opener, what's a main support what's a headliner what's a compare what's an open spot mm-hmm. and just about like gig respect and green room eh, like respect aye all that kind of stuff and when I was in the course eh, the guy that ran the course eh, joined a competition called Scottish Comedian of the Year and it closed by the time I tried to enter and he said to the guy I'll get you in he got me in and I got to the final right. and he got to the final as well right. so I got to the final of the Scottish Comedian of the Year Excellent. while I was still in the comedy course but as soon as I got to the final that just opened so many gigs mm-hmm. like, I think for a year I got about 200 gigs wow. I, I never had to ask people were just getting right. in touch but I think when I was in the course I'd done about 10 gigs back at Red Raw there was a hot bar in Woodland Road as well I saw, I saw you in, uh, in Courtiers remember? Aye, mate. And I get to, I'm sure you requested that I was moved to the front row so you could terrorise me. Aye. And did I again, pick you up as well? I think I, you did, I think aye. I picked you up. There was something... No, do you know what it was? You were talking about... Um, I'm sure it was something along the lines of... Oh, I can't remember, but the, the punchline was you tried to put a bin bag over me to abduct me. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> and I really, really panicked because I'm quite claustrophobic as well. And... Oh. Courtiers, if for anybody that's not been, is massive. Aye. It's huge, so there's a lot of people. 
It's and, uh, aye, and we were right in the front. And uh, he's I'm sure there was a point for like five minutes where you never really spoke to the audience. You just kind of spoke at me and stood like <laughs> your knees were touching my knees, but you were looking <laughs> over me. And I'm, sh- I'm sure you grabbed the bin bag, or maybe that was another another show that somebody did. But either way, that's quite troubling that somebody's trying to do that to me. But, Hi, platinum like 30 stone, you're like <laughs> 6 stone or <laughs> <laughs> So, you were, you worked in Asda, didn't you? Aye. For, you saying there? Yeah. What was, what were you doing there? Just, I'll be honest with you mate, see, I, I never had any purpose to my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I just got a job. I left, I remember I left fifth year, the start of fifth year, I just woke up and I'd done that. I'm leaving school. Went into school that day, left get my paperwork signed within four days I was working in Safeway Bishop Briggs Cross aye that was ages ago because that's obviously Morrison's aye I got a job as a trolley boy £3.45 an hour (sighs) and I was just like "Ah, what the fuck am I going to do with my life started getting mad with it bored then I chucked it I tried to do the TV course was unemployed for two years and then went back to another TV course and then that's when I ended up in Asda, so mm-hmm. I get I get properly stuck in a rut for a couple of years mm-hmm. and had had no purpose really. So obviously sounds like comedy was your main passion and main purpose. What what inspired you or was there anything in particular that made you go and start to pursue that full time, like focus all your energy into that? Well, I've said this a few times, but I caught myself. I just caught the silliness in myself, mm-hmm. like the situation I was in. I remember Kevin Bridges gave me a gig at the stand and Frankie Boyle was gigging as well. So it was Kevin Bridges, me in the middle and then Frankie Boyle. Ah, that's amazing. And I had to pull a sickie that day for Asda because they were going to give me half. And I was so consumed with they're going to give me the sack, I'm going to get the sack. I'm sitting in a green room with Frankie Boyle and Kevin Bridges. Perspective. And I'm like saying to the two of them, oh man, I'm fucked and all that. (laughs) And... Bridges, I think Bridges was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're a comedian? And I just think that whole kind of thing just made me think, aye. Aye, you need a stand-up comedian. Booted into that mindset. Aye. That, that, that is what you are. Like, yep. You're not a trolley boy, you, you did that to earn a bit of money. Yep. So, did you, did you decide there and then, right, let's go, let's make a go of this? Yes, <clears throat> I think that was on a Sunday. I maybe went into work the next day and I quit on the spot and I was just like stick your job up your ass <laughs> and they were just like what are you going to do and I was like I'm a stand up comedian to total silence <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just gave us a pure I think sometimes you just need to hear it for another person because at that point I think I was just like gig, gigging all the time then I started to realise, I was like, I'm actually getting paid more money now, mm-hmm. doing gigs than what I'm doing in Asda. Aye. And then I went down to part-time in Asda, then I was only two days a week, and it's so easy to just get caught in a rut, and mm-hmm. you're listening to people run about you, oh, you need a job, you need to do this, a job's a job, and you're like, no, it's actually becoming toxic Aye. now for my life Aye. and my goals. I mean, are you obviously, the, the logic makes sense where people will be seeing things through their perspective or if they were to chuck their job to do comedy Aye. and they'd think oh my god and, and maybe give them palpitations and I suppose in your best interest but they're seeing things through their own personal Aye. paradigm I've long said forever that you're the, and I'm not just saying this because you're here 
because you've come on I'm trying to blow smoke up your ass one of the funniest <laughs> people I know like examples first year at school people might know or they won't know <laughs> unless I've told them in the intro which I've still to record I can't remember <laughs> um, but we know, we've known each other since 2002 Aye. we went to school together Childhood. obviously you're above me at school but I remember being in Ali's house our mutual pal in New Year and just being in tears of laughter New Year 2003 just crying at everything you said no 2002 it was <laughs> I like just always laughing remember the time we were sitting in Costa at Bishop Briggs Cross and you were you didn't even tell me the jokes you told me the basis of the jokes and I was like hanging off the end of the table laughing like anybody that's hasn't seen your show I would, or any show you've done I would urge them to go and we will talk about that later that's like, very kind mate I, 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 I gen- genuinely mean which that which makes me realise am I being a bit too serious on this am I no no no, no I think we'll you know it's a conversation isn't it because like, if I'm gibbering shit, just tell me because um, there's there's quite a few things I'm looking forward to talking about um, your incident at Glasgow airport aye um, the time I strangled a prostitute <laughs> <laughs> Please don't tell anybody I was there. I'll lose my job. <laughs> I, I was not there, and it never happened. Uh, please, Scotland, are listening. That was a joke. <laughs> um, right. Anyway, so back to that. So, where were we? To recap. So, Kevin Bridges has urged you, or he, he's told you, he's kind of gave you a bit of boot up the arse and told Aye. you you're a, you're a fucking comedian. Like, why? You, not that there's anything wrong with working as that at all, but that wasn't for you. No. So. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's there just, is not. You know, life, you go through stages of life when you need to move on and mm-hmm. realise that you just need to move on through things. So you've you've then left that period of your life and you've moved in towards basically full-time gigging and stuff. Mm. What then really started to open up for you in terms of TV and other opportunities? Well, I mean, it was kind of run about the time that... I mean, I was just pounding the gigs, man. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved the gigs. Depressed in the work I was doing in Asda. And I, I was doing a gig in the Hulk Bar one night, and a guy called Joe Hewlett, the creator. Good guy. Producer of Scott Squad, yeah. and he's went on to do many, many other amazing State projects. It was recently. Yep. I enjoyed that. It was funny. And he's became a good pal as well. And he walked up to us at the Hulk Bar one night, in fact, it was a Tuesday night, and he's just done that. We're doing this thing at the comedy unit uh, on Friday, and we're holding auditions for it. Are you up for it? And honestly, straight away, I was just like, ah. I f- instantly thought about the time that I went in with the Camden Bar mm-hmm. stuff, and I had the fear, and I wanted to say no, because I was like, I've done so well to build myself back mm-hmm. for that. I don't want to go in again and maybe they'll remember me and he's like ah, just come in it'll be a good laugh I never really knew what it was for went back and, and he told me it was about Scott Squad he's like we're doing this mockumentary called Scott Squad um, we're, we're going to do these auditions when you can either be two characters you're either a dafty or a police officer and instantly I was like dafty <laughs> do you know what I mean and, uh, get to play myself aye there's no much either like how'd you come up with that I'm like that's me uh, but I and I went in and this is run about the time that you know Asda were just getting in the way mm-hmm. they were on the game days off 
I had to pull no way man as somebody just started it over yeah, that happened last time as well I feel like it's a bit of a trademark of the show so that's alright what, what's um, your maw doing in here mate <laughs> <laughs> no fact that sounded really sexist I know. I'm not what, seeing what's, your what's your dad doing in here aye um, sorry aye, I'm no sexist right so that's that does cool. pure throw mate right hopefully it should be alright um, that's cool well, this is real this is real life this is real conversations I'm going to ah, there we go that's cool um, right, on you go. As I was getting in the way. Right, so I've kind of lost my place. What was I talking about there? I, I wasn't listening. <laughs> so That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, I was texting her. Because um, <laughs> to be honest, I was just making it up as I was going to lie. <laughs> None of this happened. Aye. Mate, um, I still work in Asda, mate. <laughs> Six days a week, mate. So, so they said you can either play. A daft a police officer, you decided to play yourself, aye. no acting required, um, and aye. Aye, so it was the same again, Asda when he gave me the day off, went into my Scott Squad edition with my Asda uniform on, and changed in the toilet to get out of my uniform, mm-hmm. went in and there was, this was like maybe a week after Bridges was like, get a grip, mm-hmm. and so it kind of all happened at the same time, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there were so many things I was just like, ah, fuck this place, man. And I went in, I sat through an interview, there was a guy called Noddy there, who is the director, mm-hmm. and Joe was sitting there, and they were like, ah, you've got the same again, camera in my face, you've got ten minutes, and I just winged it. And do you know what? See, with a couple of hundred gigs under my belt, mm-hmm. I went in with a different attitude that time, Aye. thinking, I'm going to have fun here, I'm treating this like a gig. And honestly, mate, I enjoyed every single second of it. I can't even... I think what I was talking about was smuggling coke up my ass, <laughs> And I was saying there's, like, different me. Like, I prefer drinking olive oil with coke in a johnny, and it goes into my... Like, and then I was just saying things, sometimes I just like sticking things up my ass. And the guy, Noddy, was like, ah, do you know what, that's really funny, but you need to just stop talking about your asshole. Like, All right. And then I got through that. It was like around the additions I got that. And I, then I went to the second part, and it was maybe 50 actors there. Mm-hmm. And it was group improv. So it was just like on-the-spot improv games. Mm-hmm to test you to see how how good you were and I went in again I just seen all these actors and actresses scared and I felt I felt like fuck it this is my I've got absolutely nothing to lose it's funny right at the time if you have a setback or like a a failure as such say the the, the, as we talked about the early thing at the stand or um, making an arse of the first comedy unit audition but it's funny how when you look back in retrospect how everything is so perfectly intertwined yeah. and how without for example let's say we remove one of those traumatic experiences or those failures I would bet that you wouldn't be where you are at this stage so yeah. do you know that it's a bit of a lesson like if something is a monumental fuck up then you need to just look at it as if right well I'm going to seriously learn yes. for this because then obviously you're saying you've You've gone for that second audition and you're then prepared, you've got a better mindset, like a better attitude. And, and you know, as a stand-up comedian, everybody's going to have a bad gig. Everybody aye. has a bad gig. Everybody has a just, bad day, anything, aye. don't they? It's the, the way it is. Aye. It's life. 
but nothing will be as bad as what that was. So even now, right now, if I have a bad gig, mm-hmm. in my head, I'm like, fuck it, it's alright. So I went into that audition that day and I felt like a giant. And I just treated it like a gig and I had fun. It's a good, a good mindset, a kind of stoic mindset to be, to, to have that, to think, right, well, it happened, you know, it was it was terrible, we move on, we learn from it, you know, you, you improve. What I kind of, and I'm just going to jump right into this, so, oh, by the way, and I, I will say, Scott Squad, available on BBC iPlayer, I'm sure, and I don't know if they'll appreciate me saying this, but it is available on YouTube. Um, Aye. Do they care about that? Uh, I don't think so. Um, especially your character, Bobby. T- describe your character, if you don't mind. Basically, it would be me if I was in a car crash. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. No, no, that's, but that's a bit cruel. I would say Bobby is a childlike adult. Yeah. He's, he's innocent. Very harmless. Harmless. Means means well. Yeah. But ultimately he's a pest for Aye. Officer Karen. I would say he's a harmless pe- pest. Aye. He's a harmless pest with a good heart. He's good natured. In all, all seriousness, like, some of the wee sketches were... So Bobby runs into the station to speak to the long-suffering Officer Karen, Aye. who's very patient with him. But some of those... And that's all improv, isn't it? Like, that's not really scripted. Well, it's... I mean, they'll give you a, a, something to work like on. scenario, so Aye. Aye. And Joe, Joe will be by my side, and he'll feed me lines, mm-hmm. and... I don't have an ego, so I'll be like, see if this is shite, going to somebody say it's shite, Aye. so we can work on it mm-hmm. together to improve it. And sometimes they might not say it's shite, but they'll be like, oh, that could have been a wee bit better. Let's do it again. Uh, Why don't you say this? And I'm like, brilliant. Uh, it's something that's had me, really had me in tears laughing. Thank you. Um, I like Grado, big fan of Grado on it as well. Aye. He's hilarious. Good boy, isn't he? Aye. Grado, if you're listening, feel free to come on the podcast, mate. I'll let you away with being a Rangers fan, it's alright. He won't be listening, mate. Well, I know. If you're a fan, you're like, what? Does he not, does he not like it? I no, won't even know what it is. Right, so... I just want to jump into this, right, because I know we discussed this kind of right, off there, okay. and you were slightly reluctant to discuss it, but it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Now, go for the start to Bulgaria, right, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But I'm <laughs> going to ask Darren just to take the mic and tell the story of how he ended up getting arrested at Glasgow Airport. <laughs> take it away. Right, okay, so I was strangling a prostitute <laughs> in Bulgaria, because I never get caught for it the first time in Glasgow. You got a bit gallus. Aye. Right, so you're in Bulgaria. Right, okay. Was it Bulgaria? Aye, I went to Bulgaria. It's such a chain of events, it's such a random chain of events. It's almost as if it's scripted. Aye. It is like it's scripted, but... So, I went to Bulgaria with my pal, which I don't even know why I done, because Bulgaria's shite, right? (laughs) It's like a sunny blackpool. And we were walking up, there's this mile of beach, I can't remember (laughs) what it's called. Is it sunny beach? Sunny Beach, aye. mate, aye. I've never been, but I've heard it's it. It's a pure shithole, man. Sorry for anybody that's booked Sunny Beach this <laughs> summer. <laughs> I know, and look, it's our first holiday in the second year, <laughs> they're here buzzing. They were in Blackpool last year. <laughs> uh, no, and w- there's this bit of beach, I think it's le- It's obviously legal to buy weapons there, right? Aye. So I'm walking up this mile of beach, and there's just stalls for like gas masks, samurai swords, ninja stars, 
knuckle dusters, <laughs> knives, fucking shotguns and all that, mate. Like paintball guns and all that. <laughs> and see with Scott Squad, obviously it's an improv, but you can bring a lot of things in as well. Like mm-hmm. see the glasses that Bobby wears. They're mm-hmm. my glasses. Right. Uh, Bobby's a trolley boy. I made him a trolley boy because I was a trolley boy. Um, I suggested there's a there's a sketch where Bobby steals. He thinks he finds see the things that jugglers uh-huh. uh, chuck about. Yeah. He thinks that he finds a bag of that, but it's actually a bag of knives. Right. So I've went earlier with my heat like that. I want a day of holiday before we start filming Scott Squad because mm-hmm. I think uh, by the time I got back from Bulgaria, we were filming within a month. I'm walking along the beach and I'm looking at all these odd things that I've never seen before in my life and I look, I see a knuckle duster <laughs> <laughs> and instantly I do that, I'm going to buy that and use that as a prop for Scott Squad because it was just so stupid looking and it right. was so big, <clears throat> it was just so, so cartoonish. So for clarity for listeners here, this is a full scale knuckle duster that could smash somebody's head in yes and you like, bought that how proper, much was it I it wasn't even that much mate 20 right. quid or something and it was proper like do you know that guy Shredder at the Turtles aye, like aye. see the way his horn is it's <laughs> yeah. like that right and I was like the sketch that I'll use for Scott Squad is Bobby will run into the police station with this knuckle duster and say that it's his uncle Jeffy or his grand is sovereign <laughs> and because it kind of looked like a uh, sovereign ring. Like sovereigns, uh-huh. a couple of sovereigns. Yeah. And Officer Karen will be like, that's not a ring, that's an offensive weapon. Uh, yeah. And I'll be like, that's my granddad's jewellery. Mm-hmm. And she'll be like, no, it's an offensive weapon, you'll get four years for that. And I'll be like, how dare you talk about my granddad? So it might not be that funny, but. That was the idea. That was the idea there. Bought it. Obviously, I was out my fucking nut for two weeks in Bulgaria. Aye. Put it in my suitcase. Completely forgot about it. Was it? It was if just to to paint the picture. It was the front zipper, wasn't it? Yes. I've watched. Think how many times you've put something in there and forgotten about it. Aye. Plus, I had a black suitcase, mm-hmm. and the knuckle duster was black. Right. So I just put it in the front suitcase, ditched it in my room, and got back to Glasgow. And see, when I got back to Glasgow, I ditched my suitcase in my room and never even really unpacked. Until, until you needed it. Until I needed it. Which, and, and was it not like a year and a half between? <laughs> it might have not been a year and a half, but it was... Not far off it. It was not far off it. So, what happened next then? Right, so my mate was getting married in Berlin. And Wait a minute, no, your mate was getting married but you were going to Berlin. Aye, my mate was getting day. married and we were going to Berlin for the stag day. And we were leaving on the Monday. Wait a minute. I think there's a there's an important point that we have to get in between this. So before you went on this stag do, you participated in something at the Hydro. Yes, uh, the ICW yeah. event at the Hydro. The first, no, the Hydro. It was at the SEC. Right. Okay. And Mark Dallas, the guy who runs IC. W, who mm-hmm. had a wee part in Scott Squad, wanted Scott Squad to make an appearance. So, your sketch at the SEC, I mean, there was, how many people does the SEC had? Thousands. Aye, 7,000 people or mm-hmm. something. And he's like, what I want you to do is I want you to go into the crowd as Bobby and heckle a wrestler, mm-hmm. and the wrestler will jump out, 
pull you out of the barrier and beat you up. So this was on the Sunday, and mm-hmm. I'm leaving for Berlin on the Monday. But Dallas was like, we've not got much money, we can't really pay you, but there'll be an open bar there. So mm-hmm. obviously I'm like, ah, fuck it, I'm getting wrecked, because I'm away on holiday tomorrow. I'm, I'm in holiday, like holiday mode. Aye. I'm in the crowd. <laughs> I'm in the crowd, right? And I'm out my nut, I know, I'm pure steaming. And this wrestler jumps up. Jumps out, he pulls me air the barrier, and I'm dead weight, right? Because <laughs> I'm steaming, and I'm dead weight, and I'm probably, at the time, I'm a, I was a lot heavier than what I was now. I must have been no far off 20 stone, man. 20 stone of dead weight, and this wrestler's pure struggling, man, pulling his air this barrier. <laughs> And I'm like making mad noises and that, like, ah! And he, he pulls me off, and I fall maybe four or five foot. I don't know how high it was, but I fell at enough distance to break my ribs. So, because I hurt, it was steel barriers, mm-hmm. so my ribs have hurt off this corner of a steel barrier. Never felt anything until I got backstage. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, because at that point I was stressed as well, just mm-hmm. through work and just juggling too much. And I was like, that to a lassie that worked at the BBC, I was like, ah, do you, f- I think I've got stress knots. Like, have you ever had a stress knot? Aye, uh, when you get like in your back and your shoulders are. Yeah. And I was just like, I think I've got this stress knot, feel that. And she's like, wow, man, that is, I think that is a stress knot. And it turned out it was my ribs. Right. Woke up the next day, my entire body was like my right side of my body was black. Oh. Uh, you can't do anything with broken ribs either. No, apart from take perhaps Just, seriously strong painkillers. Painkillers inhibit your aye. thought process. So I'm in. I think I was in Stockholm Hospital. I'm still half steaming. Mm-hmm. Full of painkillers. Run back to my house. Have to be in Glasgow Airport. Just grab my suitcase stick clays in it I've still got the Bulgaria sticker in my suitcase mate. <laughs> I've not even took the sticker off my bag I'm running through through Glasgow airport I mean it was handheld luggage as well Aye. and I've got a massive suitcase so straight away that was just everything was red going flag by. draw attention Aye. and uh, straight away man I was just going through the <laughs> going through the what is it the scanner Aye, they scan and your case next thing I know there's like 18 people in my case <laughs> And I was just pure, is that my shampoo? Because <laughs> I did, I genuinely thought it was like shampoo or my contact lenses. Shampoo is the least of your worries. Aye, and they pulled it out and do you know what? It is what it is. I've done it, so obviously there has to be procedures right. for Aye. that. Mm-hmm. But the police were so supportive, they were just doing their job. Aye. I get support for other people and see when they realised what it was mm-hmm. and what the situation was. It was alright eventually, Aye. but it was a very, very stressful time, and it was just a horrible situation. Have but I, but it was not the first time I've heard this stuff like that happening. I know a comedian called Stuart Mitchell, who uh, the guy who did the um, the bit where he's talking about somebody laying the inflatable alien outside Buckingham Palace and <laughs> Princess Diana. Down. Mate, aye, aye, aye so wait. Oh, wait, is that Stuart? Or is that Stuart Lee? Mate, that might be Stuart. He's actually the English guy. Aye. Aye. Stuart Mitchell's a Scottish guy. Right. And he had, he's like a prop comedian. Right. And he had this Bible that when you open the Bible, fire comes at it. <laughs> and he was doing gigs in Dubai. And he left. Oh, he no. was running to the airport and he left the fucking Bible in there. Oh, the hotel. No. 
Oh and god. The, the bomb squad get phoned. <laughs> <laughs> so did he get out of Dubai in time? Or did no, he get caught? He get caught and he pulled back. Oh my god. See when they realised what it was, Aye. it was they were supportive. I knew another comedian that's been stopped in a came uh, an airport with props. Aye. So it's it's not like it's one of a kind that Aye. happens. But I just it, it was weird, I was in the interrogation room and the police was pure like like what do you do as a job and I was like I'm an actor and she's like you and Scott Squad I was like aye and she's like alright I was just like so what's happening then am I getting to jail but I never go obviously I never get to jail right, I went right. to I, I went to Berlin and that was it really I get fined and that's hilarious shit happens because I remember when you told me and I mean the ideal response would be for me to reassure you but I just <laughs> Still think it's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. But aye, <laughs> it's not the fact that it's the fact that I was leaving Glasgow. Where <laughs> <laughs> it's not the fact that I was like coming, coming in. in. That's insane that that never get flagged up in Bulgaria. Even if it was in in your case, it would have been in the hold. Like I aye. just find that nuts Mental. that they wouldn't pick up on that and they would let you through. It was such a strange runny events it was just so odd mm-hmm. and it made it happen and I just remember you know what see at the time it was horrible because I've never been in trouble I've right. never had a criminal record and you know even put like even when police officers are nice when police talk to you it's a quite frightening no frightening but you're just you're a run authority so it's quite nerve wracking oh mate I can uh, I can relate to that um, I've got a kind of similar thing but it happened in Spain which was even worse um, I can a long story short I was three of my pals went on a night out to the launch of a very a world famous nightclub chain I won't say where it is right but it rhymes with Schmasher <laughs> um, and basically went to this launch night in Barcelona down at the beach Barceloneta if anybody knows it and uh, I won't name my pals to protect them, but I was with George Carroll, Dean Brown and Sam Robson. <laughs> and uh, basically, long story short, we somehow ended up in the VIP bit just to get a seat. And we ended up joined on to this table with these guys. And we were kind of just drinking our drinks and going to the bar. And it got to like five in the morning. And uh, the guys had left and we kind of never realised. And we're just sitting, kind of talking. And a waitress arrived and she's got a card machine. And she's like, this is for that bottle of vodka. Uh, that'll be 500 euros so wow. we're like oh, fuck off no, what are you talking about so this is back we're like shut up like that is not ours like maybe it was those guys we don't know we never ordered anything and uh, so then the manager came over now this is I kept, the, my downfall was being a smart ass and being like I speak Spanish so I kind of took the lead on it and we're like look we're not paying that so you can and obviously being you know it's five in the morning Aye. We've been drinking since about seven at night, so I was hardly, you know, Aye. an example of world-class diplomacy. Aye. Um told him to go away, and he's like, that's fine, we'll just phone the police. Now, in my steaming mind, I'm like, oh, of course, when the the irrational and violent Spanish police arrive, they're going to listen to this steaming Scottish guy insisted he never had a bottle of vodka, 500 quid. And do you know what? It was a bottle of absolute. You can buy that for 14 euros in a shop. That's so, crazy. police came... Te- again, telling us to pay, and I'll be honest, I was like, fuck off, I'm not paying 500 euros, like we never had it. So that was it, cuffs, and uh, they do not mess about, like, taking the jail. Did Abs- they you? I, oh, aye, I get an absolute tanking. Wow. I get really battered. I actually ended up 
and it's just quite graphic and I think if my mum's listening to this she might not like it but I ended up being sick because oh, they were proper violent scumbags but it's quite funny though because then I was kind of a wee bit of bravado about me but then you realise you wake up and you're sober Aye. it's August there's no air conditioning and you're in a, I was in a cell with two other guys and I woke up and these two guys were just staring at me wow. so I kind of was like oh I panicked a wee bit and woke up and then the guy they brought round bread and like basically warm water it was like bath temperature water and I kind of tried to drink a bit of the water and then the guy this guy that was in the cell his eyes were like popping out his head and then um, he's like <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know but his eyes he, he was on something and it's lasted long and he's like I shall come here to pan which means are you going to eat your bread so no. I was like no you, you can have it mate you can have it it was like in a cartoon where it was actual bars. Oh, mate. <laughs> and you could see into all the other cells. And um, there was basically a, a group of African women were in a cell across from us. There was no... Je- I mean, the je- it was confined to males in a cell and females in a cell. Um, and what happened, this crazy nutcase guy with the mad eyes, the, the, the cell was really narrow but really long. Aye. And he kept... He was taking a runny, right? So he was going <laughs> as far back as he could and he was running and trying to spit on the African women oh who God. in turn were doing the same back so I'm like proper back against the wall thinking when is this hell going to end eventually I've got out but to kind of come back to that fear I get a letter through the door like a month later Pasha are taking you and your friends to court that's crazy and at the time there's a the mayor of Barcelona who was newly elected her name's Ada Colau and she a lot of her campaign for being elected was on cracking down on boozed up Brits abroad and there was like they were chanting you could get 30 days in jail and a 5 grand fine and all that so I'm thinking I need to flee this country I need to flee this country and go back to Scotland I had a bottle of that I had a bottle of vodka I know so it went to trial horrible had to stand up and speak Spanish with kind of defend ourselves but eventually the manager slipped up the manager said to the judge that um, our card was rejected about 40 times He's like, they tried so many times and it was rejected and then they got aggressive. So we were like, well, anybody knows that your card will be blocked after about four or five times like if you're trying to keep putting in the wrong pin. And then, unfortunately, we all had our bank statements and we were able to kind of counteract what he said. And then that was it. Case closed, done. Stop oh, back. but it was horrible. I swear to God, I never slept for about three months. Aye, it was just a fear. Because your mind starts just... Doing tricks, didn't it? Aye. You start to think. I thought of I was the going worst. to prison. Aye. You think of the worst situation for a bottle of booze. Aye. What I suspect banged up abroad. Aye. I know. <laughs> what I suspect happened. I don't know. This is kind of guesswork, but I suspect that they've somehow there's a bottle of vodka unaccounted for, and they're panicked now that we need to either blame somebody for no paying. Yes. Or I don't know. They would have been much less hassle if they just replaced the vodka. Yeah. They but probably just thought you were easy targets. Aye, maybe, aye. aye. Could have been. Let's get 500 euros. Aye, off these guys. Aye. Um, that, that was absolutely brutal. So, we've discussed, obviously, near misses with jail time. Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's only so many hookers you can struggle with <laughs> before you, was, we get caught. I know, I was going to say, do, do you remember where you had the bodies? Or? <laughs> God, I'm quite scared to joke about that. I don't know if that's up to talk about. Oh, well, we're only kidding. Right. Aye, we're kidding. He disposed of the bodies anyway, so that, right, no, seriously, we're joking, so let's draw a line under that. Uh, I don't want to end up in the papers. 
Um, so back to comedy. You've um, you know you've had your kind of your lessons and failures along the way. You've kind of gone full time, started gigging. You've ended up in Scott Squad. Do you feel that being in Scott Squad did that help you develop your comedy style in any way, or was it just another string to your bow? Like, <clears throat> I mean, the first time I did Scott Squad, the the pilot episode, mm-hmm. I was still probably open. No, in fact, I wasn't the open spot. I was, I was going. Is your mattress making noises it never used to? Or is it sagging, causing you to... Then it's time to get a new one. Get the best sleep at the best value with a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. Papa was maybe opener. Mm-hmm. But I was new and it was raw and I was scared. Mm-hmm. But you know, you go to these, you're doing stand up in front of hundreds of people that are steaming, mm-hmm. and then you're on a film set trying to be funny uh-huh. to silence because uh-huh. I work off crowds. That's the first time I'm saying something and nobody says anything because uh-huh. they're obviously filming it. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Do people laugh? No. When, no. Well, I, I mean, obviously the cameramen laugh and stuff, but then uh-huh. we would just do it again. Mm-hmm. But when you do that for the first time, it's a new experience. Aye. It's definitely toughened me. See, when you're, like, say, Scott Squad will be filming for six weeks and I'll get four days filming, mm-hmm. and it'll be seven in the morning to ten o'clock at night, and it's just non stop filming. So I don't think you've got enough time to think about being nervous. Aye. It, but that toughens your skin and it thickens, you, thickens your skin, and you just get it done. You've been in Panto a couple of times as well. Tell us a wee bit about that. How's Panto, Panto been? Panto is amazing, mate. See, last year I done Panto for the first time. Oh, the... done. Sorry, that's pantomime for anybody out with Scotland. By <laughs> the way. For all my Canadian friends. Hingway. Aye, is. What's Hingway? Hingway. How are we translating that? Aye. I digress. <laughs> that's probably what that would be. Hingway. There you go. I done pantomime for the first time at the Garden Theatre last year Aye. in Dundee with Tom Urey. Tom Urey and uh, James McKenzie, Raven. Aye, Raven. Aye, yep. AKA Falcon. Yes, he's amazing. Some guy, oh, by yeah. the way. He's a great guy. Who else was on it? And the uh, Karen was on it. Oh, aye, Karen. Karen. She was Maleficent. Maleficent. The wicked oh, right, witch. Uh, who did you play? I played Bobby. Bobby. For legal reasons. I was Bobby. Oh, right, B-O-A-B-B-Y, okay. Maleficent's goofy son. And last year was fantastic, but it was the same again, new experience, I was Aye. scared. I just wanted to do well, and you know what, i done well and it was good. Mm-hmm. But this year was amazing, man. Do you feel more comfortable this time, Grant? Aye, I was, a, I was an ugly sister. Right. So, the feeling of camaraderie when you do panto was amazing, I know, mate. Mm-hmm. I'd do stand-up and you're just by yourself. I'm mm-hmm. no, no, like, tears of a clown by yourself. <laughs> you're just, you do gigs by yourself, yeah. you travel by yourself. But panto, it was like teamwork. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want some of this, man. This is amazing. People gain each other lines and how can we make each other laugh on stage and stuff. It was just amazing. Excellent. see, you know... To be able to bring my family there and my family, like my nephews, to see it and stuff, mm-hmm. it was just brilliant, man. 
obviously hard work though how many shows uh, I think we've done about 56 that's, that's tough going when you consider it's what start of December aye right through to January is it have you just finished it no we finished it on the 31st last right. year we finished it in this 10th of January or something do you, do you, did you feel a wee bit like you were missing your castmates because obviously you spend that much time with each other do you kind of feel you better well when I came back I, I had a come down mate I, 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 adrenaline come down uh-huh. I was just like it was because it ended perfectly but I think I just missed that intensity because you're basically up breakfast show lunch uh-huh. show dinner bed Aye. for seven weeks were you staying through in Dundee aye right me Scott Fletcher and Tom Murray were sharing digs Scott's in River City was Tom singing good singer isn't he aye he's a brilliant singer and it's you know a, br- a brilliant bunch of people professional singers and actresses and dancers that are just amazing and you're just thinking I just you feel really grateful to be a part of it mm-hmm. and the guy that runs it is called Robert C. Kelly and he runs a show called The Dolls as well right. and The Dolls are I think they've got the potential to probably be the Scottish Mrs. Brown's boys they're, right. they're selling out every venue that they go to I think I've have they done the pavilion yes I'm sure I've seen the posters yes the name Robert C. Kelly that rings a major bell what else has he been involved in oh mate he's been about for years and he's, he's just like a theatre producer right, that okay. produces shows right. and you know I've got a lot of time for him and I really respect him because when I had the the audition for the banto I was shiting myself I, t- I turned up in his office I had a coffee and he, my hands were shaking my, I was shaking holding the script see and he, he seen that and he was just like no this is what Panto is and that's what that term means and uh-huh. he was just so kind to me whether uh-huh. somebody else would have probably told us to beat it uh-huh. and even during the rehearsals I struggled as well because uh-huh. I'm I'm rehearsing to, to silence uh-huh. see as soon as I got a crowd though I was cool with uh, and they're laughing uh-huh. and that feedback's probably needed that's good to have people like that because if he's obviously shown a level of belief in you that must then transfer onto you aye that calmness plus I think he's been doing it for so many years that he'll probably know he just knows mm-hmm. that maybe stand up comedians all stand up comedians are like that aye. as soon as you take a crowd away from them it's weird aye no, for I them can, can understand that um, over the last few years you know for the outside looking in and obviously for knowing you as well as I do your career has kind of shot upwards in this real upwards trajectory. Now, Thank I feel you. that coincides with you deciding to go completely teetotal. Yes. Do you fancy talking a wee bit about what prompted that, first of all? And yes. then how you, know, how you feel that has gone on to benefit you in, in different areas of your life? Yeah, no bother. I'm glad you asked that, mate. It's about Jesus Christ, our Lord and <laughs> Saviour. And that's us finished. So <laughs> thanks for listening. No, I mean... I'm 31 years old and I'll, I'll happily talk about it. I've never shied mm-hmm. away from that subject. Uh, when I was 28, I mean, the last time I had a drink was the 17th of December 2015. Right. And I was 28. And I was just... I've never really... See, for somebody that drank so much mm-hmm. and drank often, I've never enjoyed it. Mm. And I was constantly 
drinking, binge drinking and having hangovers and saying, I never want to do this again, I hate hangovers, Aye. please God, help me stop, all that Aye. kind of stuff, what everybody does. Aye. And it was just a loop, just press the repeat button, mm-hmm. just bullshitting myself. And when I was younger and I drank, I, everybody used to laugh and, oh, he's a big funny guy. But towards the end, I was just steaming and getting put in taxis. Aye. Hangovers were becoming longer. It was making me depressed as well. Genuinely, depression was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought that I just had depression. But Aye. then I took away alcohol and I realised that that was probably 95% of what was causing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just sick, man. I was just sick of being sick, mate. Just so fed up by saying the same old shit and repeating myself all the time. And I went out, I went to a wedding on the 10th of December and I got wrecked and I nearly ruined the wedding. No, in fact, I never nearly ruined the wedding. I just made an ass of myself. Mm-hmm. And I was in my bed for about six days. And then I went out for a cure, and I had, I think I mixed it up. I was like, I'll have two glasses of wine, a couple of gins, and I put down my last drink, and I was like, I'm, I'm finished, man. What is your point? Aye. Aye. And I knew in my heart that I was finished. It was not like, mm-hmm. all the other times I says, oh, I'm half a drink, because I've chucked it before. I've been six weeks sober. One time I was seven months off it. But you're always thinking about this. Aye. Like, it's different now. I think people, and I've kind of always been the same, see it as, because at the time, you're buzzing, you're feeling happy and excited, you're having such a good time that you think, when you feel crap, you're like, right, we'll go out and we'll have, we'll have a great time and we'll, we'll kind of get up high. But then you just come straight back down again and as you see, it's this constant look for me. I mean, I, I, I don't really have, never had major issues with it. I've never had any issue with alcohol other than I was just get sick of feeling shit all the time. You spend a fortune. And I felt as if it was like steaming Friday, Saturday, Sunday, feeling terrible, Monday, sluggish, Tuesday, a bit better. Aye. Wednesday feeling alright. Thursday comes, you feel good, and then you're like, right, let's go and have a good time. And it's this constant it's like it's like constantly sprinting up to the top of your shoot, yes. flying down it. Aye. To only sprint back up again to fly down it, and you're like, Well, something's kinda got to give for you. Did you, and, and I'm quite interested in what you said there, is that you thought you were depressed, but really you were just putting yourself in that position. Yeah. Did, obviously that's not going to apply for for some people. Some people will sadly have that chemical imbalance in their brain. Yes. But I think a lot more people than, than they realise. I'm not going to say self-inflicted, but what I will say is perhaps not realising the impact that alcohol has on you. Now, somebody might comment here and tell me I'm talking rubbish Aye. but I, I'm sure and again I may be wrong so if I'm wrong feel free to tell me but as far as I'm aware there are enzymes that exist in the body which break down and process alcohol so when you first start drinking you've got hundreds of these enzymes Yeah, that's that's the scientific term by the way hundreds of enzymes and they break down alcohol but once they have processed the alcohol they, they're essentially destroyed and they cannot be regenerated. Or, oh. So as time goes on, the hangover gets worse because this poison is essentially still in your body. Yeah. And physically and mentally, it's a depressant. And yes. your, fucking, your serotonin levels are all over the place. You're not really giving it a chance to level itself out and then it's back into that yes. that fire again. Um, a total shock to the system. I, f- for me, I, I've decided 
take a wee bit away from it because I kind of touched on it very briefly last week with Chris yeah. and he spoke very well about it but I feel it's like I just kind of take the batteries out myself for like three days a week yeah, and then put them back in I kind of get going again but then I just take them out again Aye. and it's like right maybe just chuck it for a wee while and the way I'm kind of looking at it is just don't don't be don't be going out and getting and getting pushed for a while and I'm sure when the time comes if I when I because I will of course I will yeah well, I, I, like have a drink again, probably in the not too distant future. I think I'll enjoy it more. Aye. See the past year, I felt as if I've just been forcing it down my neck. Um, just Aye. not enjoyed it. Like going to things and thinking this isn't fun. Yes. So I'm going to get twelve Coronas in me, and then it'll be fun. Aye. Can I just? I don't know. Yeah. And with twelve pints and yeah, anything would be fun. Aye, exactly. Looking at the pavement would be fun. I know. You know what I mean? I know. Because that is good. Aye. Being being drunk is very good. It's the aftermath. It's then the. Kind of the, the the turmoil that your your Aye. brain's going through. I, I think mean, it's important to kind of just provoke this conversation because the amount of people Aye. off the back of what was essentially five minutes last week, the amount of people who've Aye. publicly and privately said, "Oh, I feel the same," has been quite startling. Aye. Well, I'm glad that you shared that with me, and I'll be honest and open as well. I mean, obviously, I'm not a professional, and I'm not getting any medical advice. This is just my mm. experience Aye. with That's alcohol. The same for me, yeah. Like, uh, people can enjoy it in moderation and have two pints. If they've been working all day, you're entitled to a glass of wine when you're done it at night. Uh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I, when I take a drink, it sets up it sets up a craving inside me that I want more. Uh, and see, as soon as I want more, everything's gone. I don't care about anything. I'm getting mad with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm at a stage now that I look at that and I think I was self-harming with uh, alcohol. I was definitely self-harming. I believe I was just... And then I used stand-up comedy as an excuse to drink as well, because mm. I thought, I'm nervous, wee bit of Dutch courage, I'll just have a couple of pints. And then a Tuesday night or a Monday night, I was having five or six pints, and I wasn't even counting that as a drink. Mm-hmm. And then I was getting to the weekend, and that's when I started drinking Bucky and... Major. Or that shots and all that kind of nonsense. I am... Um, I'm kind of similar with... Because I'm not really that into, I can't take it or leave it, I'm not really that into booze. Like, I'll never have a beer. Yes. I'm always very much, well, I'm either having 20 or I'm having none, because what's the point? It's Aye. probably not a good attitude to have, well, from, from my perspective. It's a Scottish attitude, isn't it? Is, it isn't it? And then if you say, you know, I'm not drinking, what's the matter with you? Yes. You're not having a drink, what are you here for then? I think that's possibly why we, um, not only do we drink to get to get steaming, um, yeah. we... Everything is focused around alcohol. Aye. Really, in this society, is it raining? Right, let's get steaming then. Is it sunny? Aye. Let's go outside and get steaming. Yeah. Are we happy? Right, let's get steaming. Are you sad? Right, let's get steaming and we'll feel better. Aye. And it's just maybe we need to break, break that loop. I totally agree with you, mate. The amount of nights that I've missed through being drunk, the amount of gigs, football matches, dates mm-hmm. that I can't even really remember because I've just been out my nut. What so let's say you removed alcohol for your life. Oh, apart from feeling kind of better, do you feel that you became more creative? Were you taking more opportunities? Like, what was the difference in you? Well, the first thing that happened, I mean, it's pretty sad actually. See, when I chucked it, it was what you were saying there. Everybody was like, "What's wrong with you? Just take a drink, have one drink." Mm-hmm. I remember with my broken ribs, 
and I couldn't really walk and stuff and people mm-hmm. were like why don't you just have a shandy and I'm like mate I fucking need help I'm aye, struggling here aye. do you know what I mean maybe that's what we need to change if somebody aye. if he's realise it maybe I, I don't think it's out of badness either I think it's just out of people not realising that's, um, that's for the first maybe three or four months it was constant and it felt unbearable. Why are you not drinking? Just take a drink. What's wrong with you? You're always going on these mad diets and detoxes and mm. is this just another one of the weird things that you're going through? And it got so unbearable. I done that. I'm announcing this on my social media mm-hmm. that I'm chucking booze. And I announced that I made a big public announcement purely to... It was to trick my... Not to trick myself, but I was like, see if I don't stick to this... I've posted about this and people will realise that I never stuck to my words. Mm-hmm. So it kind of made me so determined to to not do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I announced it and everybody, as soon as I announced it and says, look, comedians don't offer me pints at gigs, mm-hmm. pals, uh, don't, don't say this to me. And then it changed and people <coughs> became so supportive. But I obviously through that, I mean... First thing you noticed is financial uh, aye, differences, uh, but I it just gave me a spark. That, mm-hmm. Wait a minute here, I've been kind of rotting away, just getting wrecked, and I've I've got so much potential. It did make me more uh, creative. Mm. I've done more shows. I've got panto. Uh, so much has happened during that time that aye. it's just it's just been unbelievable. No, it's it's um, three years, man. Can't a long, three years a long time. Mental, man. I can't believe that. So, twenty. I, mean, I still take keckies. They <laughs> <laughs> don't count. <laughs> no, I was kidding. On, but um, um, I know. I think. I, I mean, what I was saying there about it's a societal thing where people will be like, "Well, you're not drinking for just have a drink." I mean, I'm I've been guilty of it up until very recently. Um, yeah. But I just kind of had a wee bit of realization. Like, wait a minute. Maybe that's why this person feels shy and maybe encouraging them to come and get absolutely steaming with me yes. for two days. Uh, it's quite selfish on my part because I can go and do it. Um, I've kind of got rid of it just to not get rid of it. I've kind of taken a what's the what's the word? An indefinite break for it. Yes. Um, and already feeling a lot better, and it's kind of made me realise, like, right, if somebody says they're not having a drink, then just just leave it at that. I would, I would urge anybody as well. Um, again, I'm not claiming to be an expert, so see if there's any other anonymous shite bags on Twitter, like take it elsewhere, mate. But yeah. I would, I would encourage anybody if, if you're feeling, if you're just feeling a wee bit down, or you're feeling a wee bit lethargic, or your energy, or whatever. Yes. Just pass pa- the drink for a while, mate, and, and, and see see what happens, and see if there's any difference in you. See if there isn't. See if you feel terrible and you feel better with it. Brilliant. Go and get steaming. But otherwise, give it a try. At least you'll be you'll have more money. Look at that way. And you and see if you if you think you're struggling with depression through alcohol abuse and all that kind of stuff, get to an AA meeting or go to your GP or phone the Samaritans. Mm-hmm. It's I I think that people maybe I don't know I think maybe sometimes people will read that and think I'm not actually going to do that, but that that help is there. It's mm-hmm. um, it's a conversation that's worth opening and it's something I hope to touch on when relevant with anybody else that comes on if anybody's got any personal experience um, like that so you've kind of you've you ditched the booze and then you decided at some point last year I believe you were going on a holiday to Peru <laughs> <laughs> tell me about that please 
Well, I, I mean, I'll tell, I'll just explain quickly. I went to Peru to take ayahuasca. What is ayahuasca for anybody that doesn't know? Right, ayahuasca is, I would say, a medicine. It's right. classed as a medicine. And it's mixed up of three different types of things. It's got DMT in it. Mm-hmm. And two different types of tree bark, right. and it's brewed for hours and turned into a medicine that you drink, mm. and it makes you physically purge, mentally purge, and spiritually purge. So basically, in, in essence, vomiting out any bad yes. energy, Aye. physical or otherwise. No, this wasn't an off-the-cuff decision. I've always known about DMT. Aye. Uh, DMT is something in your brain that makes you dream and you're supposed to experience it just before you die. Mm-hmm. And uh, So I've always kind of read up on it and been fascinated by it, but I've been so interested in like shamans and stuff. Mm-hmm. And just Because it's so different from where we live, it just seems so odd. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a bucket list thing, like I, I would love to take ayahuasca and I won't go into too many details, but I was basically doing an acting job and a guy on the set, I overheard him talking about DMT and ayahuasca and I was just like, what the, f- what the hell is happening? I've never heard anybody talk about it before. And he was saying he does retreats. Mm-hmm. And he, so he organises them? He helps organise them to take people to Peru. Right. And I thought, I cannot believe I have an opportunity here to actually go there and do this. So, you know, he sent me all the details and straight away I was like, nah, it's too mental. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I called my, my Glasgow Comedy Festival show Against the Grain. Right. And it's just a term that I love. I found it through sobriety as well. It's just about to, you know what that means, Against ah, yeah. the Grain. And I called my show that and then I caught myself thinking, like, see, like, I'm, I'm not going to go to Peru because I'm a shite bag, but I've called my show Against the Grain. Mm-hmm. I'm turning into a hypocrite, and I just booked up and went. Went to Lima, and then I got a flight to somewhere in the middle of Peru, took up the Amazon, actually went up a river and a boat and all that, and lived in a hut for... 14 days I had detox this, so this is right in the Amazon rainforest right in the Amazon it was in a hut with nets like mosquito nets uh-huh. never even had windies just a bed a desk a gallon of water and this, this a desk so this then this was the sole reason for your visit to Peru because I believe that there's a lot of people listening to this that will think this guy is lying and he was actually doing like a cocaine smuggling run and this is just the story that he came up with well uh, I think I was just like my whole life I've, I've put out a decisions and mm-hmm. dreams and I just I get caught I just caught myself bullshitting myself and I was like I see if I don't do this I'm never going to do anything like that mm-hmm. so I just totally went against the grain and felt really uncomfortable doing it. Aye. But when I was there, I was like, I can't believe I've done it. So, first of all, what was the actual physical practice like? Of de- so, you drink this liquid, or how was it set right. up? So, the whole thing was basically they take you into the middle of the Amazon rainforest. That in itself is mental. Aye. Like, how many people have been to the Amazon? A few. Well, it's that I know. instantly 
I mean, I was about 20, I ballooned up, man, my weight was wild. I was about 20 odd stone. Mm-hmm. So, as soon as I got off the boat and stepped into the jungle, the heat was just weird. It was just a heat that I've never <laughs> experienced. My, my grey shirt within five minutes was black with sweat. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm not going to do well with this. Part of the ayahuasca thing was you had to go on a detox. Right. So it was no bread, no sugar, no drugs, obviously, no drink, no sex. That is absolutely shit. <laughs> no sex, which was not hard. Uh, <laughs> no masturbation either, right. which was fucking weird, I know, by the way. Because uh, then you just realise how much you are like an ape, you know, <laughs> honestly. Aye. Like pretty, always aye. answering to primitive aye. urges. Aye. And I tell you what was the hardest, mate. See, uh, everything. See, no having a mobile phone. Oh. That was the hardest. See, see, mobile phones, mate. That's a drug. Oh, aye. See, within a day, I could. I was having f- physical, like, withdrawals aye. and no being on my phone. That was harder. I actually went five days without food because of the heat and no having a mobile phone was harder. I'm sure, like, this has come through all of them, like Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. The guy who's the CEO of Snapchat, Mark Zuckerberg, obviously, a couple of other people, Bill Gates, they limit their children's screen time, or they limited when their children were children. Um, If that doesn't tell you, and I mean, I'm saying this is the biggest hypocrite, my phone is always in my hand. I think part of the reason maybe that we depend on phones so much or we're so attached to them is because now, if you think about it, old people... I know that's quite a disrespectful term, right? But let's just use it for simplicity. Old people always say, you're always on your phone. However, the the weather, your emails, your internet, your phone, your messages, your entertainment, your music, your podcasts, in some cases your books, everything is centralised in this one device. So it is obviously understandable you use it all the time, but then therein lies that dependence. So sorry to kind of go away from that, but it's kind of something that I I like to talk about as well. So... You're, you're detoxing, you're off the phone and all that, and uh, then, then where do you go for there? Then they take you down to this massive, like, open air kind of hut, and there's about 13 seats running a circle, and there's a shaman there, uh, he's got a musician there as well. Imagine it was like, they set up a camera and they point a gun at you, and like, right, get your gear off. <laughs> <laughs> Right, He's so. like, I am asking what? Give your passport, you prick. Give your passport, no euros. <laughs> uh, so we get took them to this tent, and you know, it was a ritual, mate. It was a proper mm-hmm. ritual. We're sitting around in a circle in complete darkness. It happens at night time, so you're sitting in the jungle at darkness. The only light you're getting is moon light mm-hmm. and stars. And such a weird feeling of just being in the middle of nowhere with no air, uh, light pollution. Aye. Um, he kind of go. He, he brings out the ayahuasca. He blesses it. Does a ritual. He dances around it and stuff with like a, a leaf, and he's mm-hmm. hitting it with twigs and all that kind of shit. And I, I was pretty scared, mate, as well. Cause see, because I've been sober, mm-hmm. so this is the kind of first I'm like at here. I've no drank in a couple of years. Am I going to be out my nut? But I've looked into ayahuasca and obviously you're going to be out your nut. And it's just a wee shot glass. And I'll tell you this right now, mate. I'm even getting the dry bulk thing out of it. <laughs> it is the most fucking rancid thing I've ever drank in my life. It's like Horrible. drinking... It was like car oil 
mixed with licorice. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. And see, as soon as I drank it, my body instantly rejected it. Spew back up. I spewed instantly to the point that I had to just get another shot, didn't me? I spew if I drink like whiskey or tequila, so oh. I can't imagine. Mate, ayahuasca. And and it was one day we took it six times. I ended up drinking it, t- taking it six times, right? But it was one day on, one day off, one day on. Mm-hmm. And see the day off, it was just spent in absolute dread, thinking I can't believe I need to drink that again. Oh. That's how disgusting it is, mate. You needed a full day to mentally prepare your body and your mind to drink it again. So the first time I drank it, it was just you know an hour past and. Mate, it was, it was such a, I mean, it was just a crazy experience. There's people there that were child abuse victims. Mm-hmm. There was a guy there who had AIDS. So, it was just... Can throw some pretty mental inner turmoil. I, and it was, there was a lassie there that got raped as well. So see, when she was going through her ayahuasca uh-huh. trip, it was like she was reliving that rape. Oh, God, I can't even... And, it was horrifying mate. it was absolutely horrifying and it made you think why am I here mm-hmm. uh, maybe the problems that I had are obviously not as bad as what I thought they were mm-hmm. it just it puts you through an instant inner turmoil so and the top of that you're purging as well uh-huh. I started to purge and it was weird because I never had any food in a couple of days and see when you purge mate I mean I don't know if people are going to think I'm mental I'm just talking what, I, well, what happened to me that. but when it, purging is supposed to be to get all the badness at you mm-hmm. stress, anxiety depression, self-hatred doubt and see when I was purging I could actually feel depression leave my body mm-hmm. it's so hard to describe what Something I was nice going through but it wasn't just me purging I was actually that was going out my body, and see when other people were purging, when about me, mm-hmm. see the the noise that we're making, it was demonic. Some of the stuff was They're demonic. Off. Like there was a wee guy from America that was purging, and I was like, that does not sound human. That sounds like out of this world. That was not a human being, mate. It's absolutely mental. That's that's. I kind of don't want to give a wee guy a response of that's pure nuts, but that's kind of like in summary at this point. Um, did you have any any sort of hallucinations or visions of anything? I I did. I mean, it just kind of showed me, like, it showed me every time that I was a bad person. Mm-hmm. So, say, for instance, I was, like, cheeky to you mm-hmm. one time. It I showed... Yeah, I what? I was going to say I would kick you, but then I stopped myself. <laughs> I've been told uh, to swear like smash you. Uh, <laughs> right, so say for instance I was a bad person to you, right? Right. Ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It was showing me that situation, but it was showing me it for your point of view. Right, okay. So I was seeing it for your point of view. Right, okay. Looking at me. Mm-hmm. So it was showing me times that maybe I've been disrespectful to my ma and my da. Mm-hmm. And it was so mental. Like, maybe I've been cheeky to them and then walked out the house and then I was there watching them have that conversation when I was away Uh thinking why did he say that why did he do that Uh all that kind of stuff hundreds of situations like that it was showing me that uh, I should never drink again that Mm -hmm. that was something that I got that I should stay away from alcohol Uh, 
I was on antidepressants as well, and I stopped antidepressants because mm-hmm. you can't take antidepressants with ayahuasca. Right, okay. It showed me visually that antidepressants were poisonous for me. Right. Through, I don't even know how to describe it, but I just knew that I need, to, I need to stay away from that. And then it was shown me as well that I need to look after my health, like my health and my fitness and my weight. And it was just like showing me like, if you don't look after yourself, this is what you'll end up like. Mm-hmm. And it was just showing like things like I was an old guy and just looked really unhealthy and fucked. And, mm-hmm. But then I seen, there was another time when it was showing me and I was dead happy and vibrant and like all that uh, kind of so stuff. Like, oh- Almost showing you two possible paths for Aye. yourself. It's really interesting. It was just mental. It was. Uh, what What was the vibe like? So obviously, it sounds like a bit of a dark atmosphere to begin with. Uh-huh. What was it like when everybody left? When everybody had been through this personal process? I mean, the first one was just shell shocked, mm-hmm. drenched in sweat. This weird sweat that I've never had before. It's got a different smell to it, it's got a different feel to it, mm-hmm. and you're physically and mentally exhausted. I was so exhausted I couldn't even walk back to my hut. I had to jump in to my pal's hut and sleep on the fair, the flare, and I was that tired. Bloody hell. And then you have weird dreams and all. Like, I remember I had a dream that uh, the shaman never spoke English, but in this dream, everybody there was in a park. The, the sky was jet black, there was nothing in the sky, and the, the grass was like bright green. And he said through a megaphone, uh, what was that? Nature, thunder and lightning is nature's fireworks. And I woke up like that, struggling to breathe in the middle of a thunder and lightning storm in Bloody the jungle. Hell. And it was just so intense, mate. It uh-huh. was like. Thunder and lightning storms out there was just mental. Uh-huh. The next day, I go down to take ayahuasca again, and this guy is talking in his language, and see the the person who translates mm-hmm. it. He says something like, "You'll need to listen to the jungle because the jungle is like nature's fireworks. It's like uh, thunder, thunder and lightning is like nature's fireworks." and I told a couple of English guys that were there, and we all just looked at each other like, how the fuck does he know that? Do you know what I mean? Aye. There was just hundreds of things like that. There was odd, odd things with nature's, nature as well. There was this butterfly just following me a bit. Let's... I'm going to Google that. Wait a minute. I'll dip it in my phone. Because there's something I've recently read about the significance of a butterfly. Hold on. I could, there was this, like, bright... I can't even remember if it was green. It might have been green, but it was uh, the same butterfly just following me a bit. Uh, I was just like, I can't even believe that. The butterfly represents transformation both within and without. So even if you haven't undergone big life changes, you might have a lot going on in your heart that needs some attention. Uh, Butterflies represent the ability to look at life in a carefree, light-hearted way. Now, there'll be people who say, what a lot of shite. But it can't be... We can't deny reality that Aye. a butterfly follows you about, and that is the so-called spiritual meaning of the butterfly. Um, to Native Americans, the butterfly is a symbol of change, joy and colour. The exquisite butterfly was consider- considered a miracle of transformation and resurrection. 
in the old world the connotation was negative the butterfly was thought to be the spirit of the dead right? that's quite depressing but wow. the start of it is very apt and very Aye. applicable to what you've just described Aye. and you know it was just amazing it, I mean I won't go into everything but there was I'll tell you after the podcast there was something that happened I mean there was things that happened I thought alright there's something there when you die uh-huh. there's when I die, I'm going to go somewhere. Okay, yeah. I'm not talking about a heaven and a hell, but I believe that I peeked behind something and seen that there's something mm-hmm. out of this world. So, I mean, this DMT is said to be something that essentially lets you see beyond what is either the, the human capacity for the, what the mind can perceive uh-huh. in terms of existence and what is real and what right. isn't it. I mean, because there was, there was one time when I was purging, and I was like, I'm really, really struggling here. I was no food for days, I wasn't having a lot of water, and I was struggling, mate. And I, I remember thinking, like, I might die here. Mm-hmm. But then in my head I was like, how are they going to get me back to Glasgow? Like, how are they going to get my body, a 20-odd stone body, down to a boat, get it back to the airport and get it to Glasgow? What kind of coffin are they going to get? That's uh, the kind of darkness right. that was in my head. But then, see, when that happened, mm-hmm. I had this presence, like a female presence, that guided me through it and was telling me it was going to be all right. Mm-hmm. It was like a green, they call it Mother Raya, like oh, okay. ayahuasca. Yeah. And it was so real with my eyes that it made me feel claustrophobic. I mm-hmm. thought I was just surrounded with these people helping me through this trip mm-hmm. to the point that I was pushing out my arm to pu- push them yeah, away. Okay. But there was there was nobody there. And it was like this female had her hand at the bottom of my spine and she raised it to the top of my spine. And every, every time it went to the top, I purged. Right, okay. And she got me, like, got me through this purge. Mm-hmm. But it showed these things and all, like... Just that maybe I'm. Um, it was just like you're about things like love and relationships, and like maybe I'm ready for all that stuff. So mm-hmm. it was it was good. The, obviously, the which is fine, but there'll be a lot of cynical, skeptical people. Who, I know because I sound like an absolute crack. I people. I mean, it's people we go nah, no chance. But I think there will also be a lot of people who will be kind of open to that idea of concept. Maybe they've they've explored it themselves. But what can it be denied is. I spoke to you after you came back on the phone and I remember it was March and I was in Barcelona and I remember coming off the phone and thinking, fucking hell, like th- there was just this different change in your demeanour, your vibe. Um, I think you actually apologised to me for stuff that I had forgotten about or had never even crossed my mind. Aye. Um, I did, didn't I? Aye. I actually aye. did. Because um, it did, it just made me think about things in the past. and There was stuff I was like, I've never even thought about that and I remember you kind of explaining... Um, where you were in life Aye. at that point um, and compared to how things were now and I remember then thinking fuck I right so there has been actually a real, a real change so that's kind of undeniable like so Aye. then on the plane back how did you how did you feel like it was just like I felt like how am I supposed to go back to normal society mm-hmm. after that I'm Bobby for Scott Squad <laughs> and I just seen the face of Jesus Christ in the jungle mm-hmm. And it was just a weird, and then see gone so long without food, my body was in a weird, see trying to eat again man, my, your stomach's killing you, and, but I came back and it was just gratitude, and it was like you says when I phoned you and I apologised for stuff in the past, mm-hmm. I'd done that with other people as well, mm-hmm. I remember I never spoke to my pal for over a year, because 
it was their concert tickets or something. Because it was his birthday and it was my birthday and he took his bird instead of taking me. <laughs> and I was pure gutted, man. What was the concert? <laughs> it was Hans Zimmer. Oh, that's it, right. But aye. the two years loved it and stuff, so there was a uh-huh. connection to it. Aye, aye. And But because my head was up my arse, I never aye. spoke to him. But as soon as I got back, I sorted all that stuff out. realise how... I've had a few grudges like that as well, and you realise just how fucking pointless it is. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it shouldn't always be this way, but it sometimes does require you to imagine if you had, like, 30 minutes to live, aye. what would really bother you? So if there's anything in your head where you're like, do you think is this real problem it probably actually doesn't really mean shit in, in the, the grand Aye. scheme of things um, it's a shame it takes us to have these mad experiences but I, I believe that I, I lived my whole life with anxiety and I'm no good enough and I'm shite and mm-hmm. just the Scottish kind of mentality of things yeah. and that kind of broke it out me and uh, I just came back to Glasgow with so much gratitude mate I've no really had uh, I wouldn't say I've had any major depression things or any of that since I've took it. Do I mean, I've had bad days, like uh-huh. I can't be bothered and uh, I can't be arsed with that guy and all that, but I've never had major problems since I went through that. It's like, it's, it's the same as anything, isn't it? Like you, you'll have these these bad or down days. That's like saying, you know, to say I'll never have a bad day again is like saying, it's never going to rain again. Aye. Sometimes it does rain. A wee bit Aye. of realism is required, but... Aye. That rain, sorry to just speaking mad metaphors, no, but the, it's rain, true, mate. the rain passes, doesn't it? And it's the Aye. same way any bad days, it's like realising that behind the rain clouds the sun's still there Aye. and the sun will always still come back. Um, I feel like I should burst into the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> um, so do, do you feel that, because I'm always quite interested in this, I feel that if, if when I'm in like a good place, like feeling happy, feeling good, feeling grateful, content, that things just start to happen. Yeah. Like almost... Coincidentally, or by magic, is is there been anything that's you're probably just going to go no, nothing? But has anything come up that you feel hmm, that's a wee bit strange? Whether it was a wee twist of fate or a wee bit of good luck. I mean, things like panto. I've never really shared that with anybody, but in my head, I've always been like, I want to do panto. Mm-hmm. I've never really told anybody about that. And then when I come back, within two months I've got a meeting with a guy that does pantos and just things like that and just like things for the past like just mending broken friendships and mm-hmm. and just I think when you get half a positive when there's something better about that you just love your life better aye. I it's don't like, know it's hard to describe oh whatever you put out comes back to you aye tenfold whether it's a thought action words it does come back to you aye. Um but, like, I went over there selfish reasons as well. I was like, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm here for jokes. I'm going to get a stand-up show. Obviously, with purposes and reasons in my head. I mean, obviously, everybody's had sadness and mm-hmm. loss and all that in their life. And that's why I wanted to take it. But it's because I'm a stand-up comedian as well. Mm-hmm. And it just broke my ego to the point that I came back and I was like... I don't want to talk about this. This has been a personal experience, aye. and I don't want to mock it. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Aye, aye. No, quite right. Do you think is that you and alcohol done? Do you think you'll ever? Is it something you see yourself ever having a drink again? I'm never drinking again, mate. But I kind of want to say I don't mean to sound or doom and gloom about booze as if it's this evil thing. No. I just, but in the context of your 
sort of circumstance where so you'll never go back to just in case well, sorry in case anybody thinks I'm preaching that drinking is a horrible evil thing or anything it's just well, pretty I, much in the relevance I, of this chat I mean for me I drank I started drinking when I was what 14 or something stopped mm-hmm. when I was 28 what's that 14, <laughs> 14 year, year. <laughs> so the 99.59% 5 that every time I drink it makes me feel depressed Aye. it makes me feel sad towards the end it was making me feel suicidal mm-hmm. so why would I want to do that again when I know that when I drink it's going to probably make me feel like that I have had good times in alcohol but see for every good time there's 100 bad times Aye. and that's a fact mm-hmm. so I just look at it now and it's so alien to me like I just don't need it I just don't need it there's no appeal for me Aye. but I can sit in people's company if they're drinking or if I'm on a date or something and she's drinking I'm cool with that Aye. I won't be like one of these guys can you not drink that in front of me I actually find that so offensive <laughs> like uh I want people to have drinks, Aye. I want people to have a good time. I, if I'm sitting in the house and I'm pouring a drink for somebody, I want to do that. Aye. I want to have booze in my Just fridge for, for, for other people. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm absolutely done for it, done with it. And the rewards for my life with it has been unbelievable. It's good to hear, I think it'll be, I don't want to say inspiring, well it could be inspiring for anybody listening. Um, but well you know, see if anybody's listening and they're struggling or they just need a chat, get in touch, you've got me on Twitter. Where can, where can they find you on Twitter? Just at Darren Connell, loves Eckies. <laughs> no, Darren Connell 87 or, you know, Facebook. Aye, get you. Good, I hope, you, hope, hope some people do get in touch. Um, and what's coming up, What you've, you've, I never really touched, you've done quite a few very successful stand-up shows at the Fringe and the Glasgow Comedy Festival. What have you got coming up that people can come well, and see you? Well, I've, I've just sold out my Glasgow Comedy Festival show at hey, the stand. So that was nice. I'm looking forward to that. But tomorrow, Friday and Saturday, I'm gigging in Paisley for Robert Florence. Just for anybody listening, so that will be Friday the 18th, January and Saturday 19th. Aye. So where, sorry, who's that with and what is it? Robert Florence, it's his poetry night and I do stand-up. Right, okay. It's at the Burger and Keg, I think. Same again, just get his own social media for that. Uh, Scott Squad's coming back in January Can or February. Uh, is that going to be on this new BBC Scotland channel? Aye, right, but okay. I, that's all I know. I don't know, like, when, I, when but I know it's going to be the new right. channel. Sure, this channel, I went to the... The premiere screening of episodes five and six, I still game. Brilliant. Amazing, by the way. Aye. I was honestly pure. Into- the fifth episode was like a throwback to the early series in terms of the script, the ca- the chemistry between the, the cast, and general laughs. Aye. And then episode six, I was felt, see that dread you had when you were taking Ayahuasca? Aye. That was a dread I had before it because I was like, this is it. Aye. This is the end. It's heartbreaking. Oh, I was in tears. It was amazing. Uh, but uh, Michael Hines stood up before, and he was. Exp- I think Greg Kempill and Ford Kieran maybe explained. It's going to be on the new BBC channel, Aye. which I'm sure it launches. Like I want to say February nineteenth. Aye, um, I think it has run about then. So Scott Squad will be on that. Then people can find it there. Yes, I. As aye. I said, it's. I'm sure if it's not available on iPlayer, it is on YouTube, and it is definitely <laughs> worth watching because it is a funny, funny show. Like I love it. Thank you very much, mate. I'll probably be doing Panto again. Uh, if I get offered it, I'll do it. 
if it's no Dundee I'll be doing it somewhere else and then I'm in a position I know see if I don't get work mate mm-hmm. I'm alright with that as well Aye. you've got to be grateful for with what you get exactly you know so I'm, I'm going to I do my podcast as well now oh aye sorry I'm I meant to all that stuff. I meant to say that where can people find the podcast just Darren Connell podcast on Facebook or Glasgow Live and aye I've, I've got no complaints mate mm-hmm. see when I'm no gigging and I've no got work I'll just go to the gym enjoying life aye or the cinema excellent mate this was an absolute pleasure thanks so much for mate I for love you on. you love know you you're my, one of my best pals and I love you with all my heart and my soul what a beautiful thing I love you too mate Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation between Darren and I. First thing I want to say is I'm sorry if me laughing irritated you because I know it was constant and kind of sometimes over over the mic, but he's a funny guy, so sorry about that one, couldn't be helped. Uh, a big thanks to Darren for coming on. Uh, I look forward to, to having him back on again. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of, I feel there's a lot of talking points and a lot of points to provoke a wee bit of thought, conversation uh, within that, so, so I really do hope that you know, that either helps somebody or anybody if you kind of need it, if you need a wee bit of um, different perspective. Otherwise, I just hope you enjoyed it. What was, for me, a funny conversation between between me and my pal. Uh, I hope to be back, well, I don't hope to be back, I will be back next Friday um, with Paul Black. That's my next guest. Paul's a Glasgow-based writer, director and performer. And he's been quite famous for some of his viral comedy videos. Here's a wee clip from one of them, which you might have heard. Hey y'all, and welcome back to my channel. It's uh, Travel Junkie 88 here. This week I'm in sunny Glasgow. As most of y'all know, I am one-eighth Scotch. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm with my people here. People make Glasgow. So here in Glasgow, the people are like super friendly. Um, the locals always want to say hey and. Oh, look, here right now, here's a Bonnie Wee Lassie. What the fuck giant you're doing? Bonnie Wee Lassie, like, pretty little girl. What? You're kidding? I'm just filming, like, something for my YouTube. Do you want to say something, like, Scottish? Something Scottish? Yeah, I'll, just some. I'll kick your fucking cunt in if you don't get your camera away from me. Um, you fucking pedo. Um, so, uh, she's speaking in Gaelic, which is, like, an ancient language that the Scots use to, like, communicate within their tribes. So Paul set up a production company, Pity Party, alongside his brother, Mark Black and Carlin Miller through the, the trio of kind of produced short form comedy content and it's gained millions of views on like Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. It's hilarious. Uh, they're currently working on, you know, developing several ideas for sort of longer form work for TV and film for BBC3, kind of other platforms. They've recently been on The State of It, which aired at the start of December, I think. Um, which featured Robert Florence uh, and various other people from the, the Scottish comedy scene. Definitely worth watching. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to speaking to Paul. Uh, he's got a few things he wants to kind of discuss. I'm looking forward to finding out how they created that content. Um, but until then, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to read the rubbish that I write. I don't recommend it, but if you do, it's Sean McDonald one and you can get Darren on Darren Connell 87 I think, I hope. I can't be bothered, I've spoken for too long now, so if it isn't, just go back and listen to it. Anyway, thanks again. Um, feel free to leave a rating. Um, five stars please, otherwise, what's the point? I need to cheat my way to, 
take your ratings and if you fancy leaving a review that isn't nasty then by all means feel free cheers Thank you.